Welcome to All The Things, a podcast for moms seeking an inspired life. Hi, I'm your host, Lisa Chin. I am a writer and a coach, and my most passionate truth is that the world needs the real you. That's why I created this podcast, to discover all the things that make us who we are, because the better we understand ourselves, the more good we can do in the world. So let's do that together. Hello, and thank you for joining me today. I am deviating from the interviews this week and sharing a Facebook Live that I created about a year and a half ago that sparked a conversation that I'll be posting next week. I wanted to first acknowledge that I am speaking and podcasting from the traditional and unceded territories of the Nipmuc and the Massachusetts tribes. A land acknowledgement is very important for me. Today's episode is all about kind of my racial awakening, I guess, in a way, and about advocacy. And a land acknowledgement is my one way, one of my ways of advocating for the indigenous people and something that I am actively working on to bring into my everyday and to bring into my norm. What's really interesting when we start looking at our transitions What I'm sharing today is originally a Facebook Live that I created a year and a half ago, and I can see the transformation from who I was then to who I am now. And the sureness, I think that's a word, that I have in who I am in my identity as both a Chinese person as well as an advocate or an accomplice or an ally. What has been really interesting for me in observing and listening to myself speak from a year and a half ago is that transition that I was in a place where my words weren't as sure in, my, in who I am. And that as we continue to take small steps to do the things, you know, practice doesn't make perfect, but practice makes things more normalized for us, right? So you can say that about yoga. You know, your body may not remember how to bend into a forward stand. And then if you practice you're able to normalize that for your body. And the same with advocacy. It's not normal. Over the weekend, I was in a group and there was a high school student in the group of adults. And I'm sure it was, you know, it's the fourth meeting or so that included her in there. And I'm sure it's still intimidating for a high school student to be listening to these topics that they aren't normally exposed to. Um... And so what I did during the call was I said, oh, hey, would you like to chime in and add anything to it? And it gave her an opportunity to, at the very least, voice that she was simply listening. That was not something I would have done a year and a half ago or even maybe a year ago or whatnot. As we grow awareness of ourselves and we understand who we are inside and also who we want to be, we can create these different practices that we can start 
maybe we have to write them down and start doing them. And then eventually they become something that's normal. Obviously, this practice can go either way, right? It works on on all sides. And and so the technique and the strategy of of practicing until normal is a part of the work. And the other part of the work is understanding ourselves and really getting to the core of who we are, who we want to be, and how do we want to interact in the world. So I'll leave it at that, and I'll leave you with this for you to listen to. And this Facebook Live was what sparked my conversation with Nicole Harrison that will be released next week. So until then, thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy this. I would love to hear how you are working on yourself and how this video may resonate with you. You can DM me at Reclaiming Motherhood at, on Instagram, or you can email me at lisa at lisaforreal.com. And so I hope you enjoy. Hi. Okay, it's been a really long time since I've been on live, so I'm probably really rusty. But for once, I actually um, pulled together some notes because this morning has been a bit inspiring for me and I have had a lot of thoughts, um, particularly the last couple of months and I haven't really had a chance to kind of get them out there, which is part of my processing. So that is why I am here. Um... I hope that since my last live and since the last time I've talked to you, if I've ever talked to you, that you've been well and safe and that everything happening in the world is not shaking you to your core in a bad way, but in a productive way. Um, a couple of months ago, I took a class on... I didn't think I was going to get into this, but I'm going to. I took a class on um, on a class on the black nervous system and how um, how black people are impacted by trauma and how to be a well. There was two parts to the course, kind of. There was understanding the black black nervous system and how to be a white accomplice. And I entered myself into this class really enthusiastic because I you know if you've seen my posts <laughs> ever um in the past like I want to say seven years I've particularly I've posted a lot about um the black community and I and I'm I very much consider myself as a practicing ally and trying to improve myself and so I wanted to be in this course to be to learn more of how to do that and I then I real, and then when I was in this course, it, it's very much like, you know, we live in a very like binary world, black and white. And, um, someone, I forget who I was talking to kind of said, like, it's like, this is kind of like how our brains operate. Like, like we almost can't even handle more than the two categories at a time. Um, and so here I am, I'm Chinese American. I was born in America and I'm attending this class and I, that is, you know, partially for black people and partially for 
white accomplices. And then I was like, well, who am I? Am I a Chinese accomplice? That sounds really weird. Um, and it was like, I didn't have this like place in this class. And then eventually the class, what happened was for lots of different reasons, I won't get into it today, but for good reasons, they split the class up into um, BIPOC, so black indigenous people of color, and white people. And the whole idea of that split was so that um, the white people can kind of process privilege and learning about trauma and learning about racism kind of in their own space, and they don't have to re-traumatize the BIPOC folks with kind of their processing, because BIPOC people are living with racism and trauma and racial trauma um, in their bones, and they, they don't need to it's not their place, especially when they're paying to take a class to teach white people about this. So here I am in this class. I'm like, and I had this huge epiphany, um, where I was like, which, like, do I really belong in this BIPOC group? I, I don't feel like I've experienced racism enough, I guess, to qualify or to like, have earned my rights to be in a group that is for people who face racism every day. And, and one of the teachers of the course, she kind of called out, she's like, if you're Chinese, you are a person of color. And it's like, of course I am. <laughs> like, of course I am. I, of course I have a completely different experience from, um, from my white husband and from my white friends and the white community as a whole. Um, and of course, like, I don't need to earn my stripes to be part of that, but it didn't really hit me until that point. And so I've been doing a lot of self work. Um, and it's going to take a long time. I think I have a lot of like, um, like white centering ingrained in my brain. Um, and so this morning I'm, I'm, I'm taking another course on the nervous system, um, in a different way. For, for mothers and I'm um and I'm like I, I was I was going through kind of an introductory video and in there they're talking about the ACEs study which is um adverse childhood experiences um and it was a study I don't know all the specifics so I'll probably butcher it right now but it's a study on all these different traumatic experiences um that if they happen during childhood they greatly shape the way you you grow as an adult and essentially the trauma of that childhood manifests in a lot of different ways um, as an adult and specifically with health. So mental health, physical health, emotional health, all of that. Um, and so one of the stats on there was, and so with this ACEs study, which I didn't know, it, the, the original study that was conducted um, by Kaiser Permanente, something like that, um, the original study was studied like with a middle-class California population and the majority, the vast majority, I think 70 plus percent were white people, white middle-class people. And they kind of, I don't know why they used them, maybe just because that was kind of the base that they had and the access they had to these people. And so they did this study, or maybe because medical studies have always been white-centered in that way. Um, I don't know. And I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in medical studies. But anyway, so it just so happens that this study was based 
on this population and the majority being white. And so the, so the slide that I was reading said something like, you know, um, early childhood trauma, you know, in this study uh, who are all middle, like middle-class Caucasian population, 63% of people experience, have experienced, I think it's at least one form of adverse childhood, um, an adverse childhood experience. And I was, and I was reading that and I was like, well, okay. Um, what about me? What about my experience? And what about other, what about the BIPOC? Like what about black indigenous, brown, you know, black, brown, indigenous, and pe- other people of color? Um, and, and so the instructor goes on in the video to say, well, this is the study. And, and then she mentioned, and then people who don't fit this category have experienced even more. And I thought, well, of course, yes, you know, but then where's that information? Why isn't that on the slide? And why, you know, and if I'm taking this course, why am I not included in this? And then, so I went off to see, okay, well, maybe I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, um, especially from, you know, and this instructor, I know she's doing the work and she's, you know, she's open to this information. So I was like, well, you know, maybe the information is hard to find. Maybe there's no study. I mean, I I know there's studies on this, but I was like, maybe there's no study or easy to find study or whatever on ACEs with minorities. And so I just did some Googling and then I came across this group um, that was talking about ACEs and people of color. And on their website, they're talking about the ACEs study and they're talking about how impacted black Americans are with the ACEs study. And um, I'm, it's been a while since I've done live, so I think they've changed the, um, the view, so I don't know who's joining, so hi everyone who's here, um, but, and I don't know if you can comment, I don't even know what's going on anymore, um, so I don't know if you can comment or whatever, but if you want to say hi, for sure, say hi, um, the, so I was on their website, and I was like, oh, this is awesome, like, I'm so glad a group is doing this, um, and then as I'm going down, they're talking about, like, like, ACEs for black Americans and blah, blah, blah. And then in the, and then there's a picture and the picture is a white passing baby. I don't know if the baby is white. I don't know if they're, they were kind of like a lighter Hispanic baby or whatever it may be. But there, but the whole idea is like this, there's a whole paragraph or two about, you know, ACEs for black and, and the impact on black people. And then you have a picture, not of a black person. Hi, Eric. <laughs> and then I go further down to keep on talking. And then they have a picture of like protesters of all white people. And I'm like, there's a severe disconnect here between what they're saying and what they're showing. I have, I've done plenty of work with websites and stock imagery and all of that. And I get that a lot of the stock imagery is white. Like it just is. It just, that's another part of the world that we live in. But if you are working, if you're doing the work as an organization, you got to have people who are doing the marketing that are aligning with that. You can't just have a paragraph that talks all about how, how terrible it is for black people and then have a non-black baby. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And so, um, and so that's kind of the background, like what's, what's been happening to me and then what happened today those two instances really like revved me up today 
And then I kept, what happens in my nervous system is I get all like, right? Um, and I don't know what to do and I get triggered, but I don't, um, and then I'm, not that I don't know what to do, but I, I, I feel the need to take action and then it like, sometimes I get frozen because I don't, you know, I have, I also personally have fears of like, okay, what if my ideas are rejected or if people take me the wrong way or what if people are insulted by me or what if they push back and they say that I'm not wrong or, or whatever it may be. Um, and so I kind of wanted to like, I, I, I did some stuff after, which I'll share, but, um, I kind of wanted to jump on to live and kind of share this. Um, and I, and I think it's really important that you know, one of the things I read about white privilege that, um, it was in an article that I shared about white privilege, explaining white privilege to people who are poor, like poor white people, um, and how they still have white privilege. And the thing is, caveat is everyone has privilege of some sort or everyone is underprivileged of some sort. Everyone has faced some sort of trauma. I mean, there's, um, I was watching this recent series about um, trauma and race and someone said, you know, there's the trauma Olympics, right? Like there's all sorts of things. Trauma is just bad in general. But um, but in this instance, you know, in just talk, there's, you know, when we address issues, we have to address the issue and not gloss it over with, oh, there are other issues to address. So why don't we go there? And what about that? What about my children who are this experiencing this or whatever it may be? And it's like, yes, everyone has issues. Everyone can decide to take a stance on whatever issue that they feel called to. And they can, and, and they can do that. But to take the attention away from someone who's trying to call out something and improve the world is anti-productive. Um, and so with that, one of the things I really, that was eye-opening for me was the element of white privilege for poor people. And in this article, one of the things that they said that really struck to me was that even um, as a, the element of white privilege is that there's white centering everywhere. And that is out there in our, our media. Um, like I said, with marketing, like stock imagery, lots of white people, lots of people of, uh, lots and lots of people, lots of pictures of, um, like white people with black people or all black families. So like, you know, there's, there, it's just stock imagery is that it's just stock imagery. Um, and, and the ability for a white person of any social class, right, to be able to see themselves out in the world doing different things. Um, they can, you know, be doctors. They can be, you know, successful musicians and, and, and all of that. And they can kind of, and also they can get away with a lot of stuff, right? There's a lot of, but like the, the fact is that when you look out in the world as a white person, you can see yourself in other, out there, right? Um, like the reason I liked Michelle Kwan when I was, you know, a, a child was like, oh, she's Chinese like me. That's really cool. Um, and the difference is that that happened to me, I don't know what, fourth, fifth grade. I don't, I don't remember when Michelle Kwan was out on the scene. But, you know, how, how many ice skaters or whatever athletes have white children been able to look up to ever since athletics were, you know, professional athletics were out there. Um, although technically I think Michelle Kwan, when she was, I don't know, whatever, we won't get into that. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's the difference is that like, 
it took me that long to like see someone um, on the ice skating rink that looked like me versus um, versus someone who's white who would who they've been able to see people like them everywhere. And so this goes to the idea of like, okay, so when I, when I see people, I identify with them, right? Like if I see like someone of um, East Asian descent, I identify with them. I can kind of tell like a lot of times if they're Japanese or if they're Korean or if they're Vietnamese or they're Chinese or, you know, um, or if they're Thai and, and, you know, being Asian American, um, it's not like we're all the same, right? We all have different experiences as well, but being in America, like even just seeing anybody who kind of remotely looks like me, um, makes me feel seen and feeling seen is a sense, it gives me a sense of safety. Um, and I don't know all the psychology behind this, but that's kind of how I know it. Like if I see people who look like me, I feel, I feel safe. Um, and, and I think that goes in reverse for, and that goes that's the case for a lot of people if not all people i think that our nervous system and our psychology we are just um we are just drawn to that um and it probably goes back to our caretakers so there is i think um i read that you know babies within i don't know maybe like the first three months even they will feel drawn to people who look like their primary caretaker so if you are black and you grew up in a black family, which most black people do, you're going to be drawn to black people. If you are Chinese and you grew up in a Chinese family, you are going to be drawn to Chinese people. Um, and that is without, you know, growing up and having, you know, biases and prejudices and experiences that say otherwise, right? Um, but you are, you're going to be drawn to those people. And I think that that is just very foundational to who we are as people. Um, and so when when people of color are out in the world and everything is kind of white-centered, it can really test our sense of safety. And we have to live with that. We have to compensate in other ways, I think, in order to do that. And I think that some of the ways we do that, and, and so now we're getting to all sorts of stuff. Um, so I was kind of doing a lot of like writing, like kind of processing when I was in this course, like trying to understand like, okay, why do I identify so much with being white? Um, if I, I grew up in, in a large Chinese family, I, you know, it, um, Thai Chinese was my f- first language. I didn't learn English until I was in elementary school. Why is it that I, and, and I grew up with my cousins all around me. Like, you know, we, I would see them every, every week and people in my house, every, you know, my extended family and every day. Right. Um, but why do I have a sense of safety? And I realized one of my triggering points was when I went to college and the vast majority of my college I don't remember the percentage because it's been so long, but the vast majority were white and they were um, middle and upper class. A lot of international students too, but a lot of white international students, European international students rather. Um, and so I felt like a fish out of water. And I realized that um, part of my college experience was befriending a lot of white people and it almost, I realized it almost gave me a sense of safety or belonging or acceptance or whatever it may be, like in that vein, um, because I felt so intimidated by the environment that I almost needed to kind of like be like, okay, I'm in this group. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm safe. I'm in this bubble of people who are accepted by other people. So therefore I'm, 
I'm okay. Um, and I really didn't realize, I had no living idea until a month ago. Um, and that really kind of, um, it really jarred me. And so safety is really important. And so if we're, if BIPOC are out in the world and, and we don't see ourselves out there, like that really tests us. And so what did I do? Um, in this instant, in these instances this morning, when I came across this, um, slide on this course, this presentation, and then also this website. So I called it out. I mean, in this day and age, you got to call it out, whether you're a person of color or whether you're white and, and you have that lens and you can kind of be like, is this white centering? Is this not? You got to call it out. Um, and so I did, I, I, um, with the, with the website, I went to their Facebook and I sent them a message via Facebook saying, Hey, I love what you're doing. Um, I just want to know, this is what I see. Like I see talking about like black people and aces. And then I see picture, none of your pictures containing black people or even visibly people of color. Um, and I think that's very important. (laughs) And so I left it at that and we'll see if they get back to me. And then with the instructor, I've spoken to her once before and like she and I totally got along um, and I really vibed with her. And so I sent her a Facebook message um, saying, hey, I just have some feedback on this slide. And then I was going to send her some audio messages because um, I just didn't want to type it all out. But then also I felt like it'd be different coming from me with audio and sound instead of um, typed out. And so I started, I said, hey, I have some feedback. And then she responded and she was like, oh, sure, let me know. And, and then I was like, well, actually, if you have five minutes, can I just talk to you? Which um, I want to say like a year ago, there's no way I've ever done that. But um, for a lot of different reasons, I was like, like I, I feel the need to actually say it, right? And I want her to like, I want it, I wanted it to be preferably in real time just so that I can kind of say it and, and I can gauge her reaction. And maybe this is part of my catering to those reactions. Um, but that's just kind of who I am and I'm okay with that. And so I, I said, okay, can I talk to you? And so, uh, so we, so I called her and I said, Hey, I was reading this and I said, Hey, and I, and I was like, that's interesting, but what about me? Where do I fit in? I, I don't know if I'm the only person of color in this course, but it's kind of important. And she's like, yeah, totally. You know, it's such a big topic. And, um, in this, that's, that was the study, right? So like, I get it. That was the main study, but there have been studies since. I mean, that study was conducted like, I think in the seventies maybe. Um, and when, oh, and then also after, after contacting that website about the ACEism, um, about ACEs and black people, I kind of went back on the internet and did some more searching to figure out, okay, ACEs and minorities, ACEs and POC, like what, where are the studies? And I did find something. So I said, Hey, and, and she was like, yeah, I just, I, you know, and I said, yeah, I didn't know if you didn't have time to find something or you couldn't find it, but I did find something. So I shared it with her and she, you know, and she's going to do what she can to integrate it. Right. And so there's an element of better late than never. Um, but it's also like you, once you know better, you do better. And so how does someone do better? Well, they have to learn. Sometimes learning is in the moment. And sometimes learning is proactive 
and you're seeking it, right? But for, you know, many, many reasons, we all learn at different rates and through different ways. Um, and so I felt called to contact them and say that. And, and that is, it's triggering as a person of color to do that because you are being very vulnerable. You're saying, hey, I'm not seen right now in this moment. Um, and then my voice did get shaky and I could feel tears coming in my eyes, um, just as I am in this moment. Um, but, and so what's important about this is if you are white and you have the capacity to call this out, like you got to do it. Um, because being a person of color, like you get traumatized every time, or you have to feel like you have to justify your existence. Um, sorry, by doing that. So anyway, so this requires capacity and, um, and as you can see, I'm working up to that and for people of color, you know, it's not your job to do so, um, to do it every time you see it. Right. But there is this importance of being seen and heard. And I think that we educate and we do what we can within our means, um, and so, like, for instance, like, do it however you can, if it's, and, and do it within your realm of safety. Um, messaging someone on Facebook Messenger, or messaging an organization that's supposed to work with trauma and black people, they should not be responding to you in an, a negative way when you call this out, right? These people should be doing the self-work to to be able to take that feedback if not we've got problems right um so do it in the realm of safety don't do there's no obligation for anyone to do anything right um and all i'm saying is i feel like on some levels it's easier for white people um and and for those people of color who have um limited capacity or patience or whatever it may be to address this then then do it however you can and if you want to be doing anti-racism work you know and doing it proactively and I'm not an expert you know I read some articles here and there and um, I'm doing what I can in my community and I'm I'm doing what I can internally um, and that's really where it starts right if you can do the work internally you're going to feel confident enough to call it out in um, other settings um, and so that's kind of like I feel like where I am right now and I don't there must be some sort of like graph that shows you the the stages of anti-racism like yourself and then you're like your broader circle and etc um, but I think that there's a lot of a lot of ways to practice it and if you are able to see and call out when you're not being seen and when when your experience is is not part of you know if if it's if white centering is happening then do what you can to call it out or you know what like if you have an ally a white ally friend um or acquaintance who's like who maybe you set up an agreement and say hey if i call this out will you be willing to like or if i see this will you be willing to speak up for me like there are people out there who are willing to do the work on your behalf because they see it and they feel for people of color and if that's the case and, and that person you know 
they don't have the lens, so they can't do it, right? So if you have someone who is like, I'm willing to do the work for you, then hey, maybe we all find someone like that. And we shoot them an email or we're saying, hey, you got, you got to contact these people and say, change this, or this is wrong, or this is white centering, or this is a perfect example of white privilege, or this is racist, or whatever it is. Um, and that person can talk to it and say, hey, and that person can say, hey, I have a person, like, I have a, a black friend, or I have a Hispanic friend, or I have a Latino friend, or I have a Chinese friend, or I have a Thai friend. They see this, um, and I'm hearing from that community that this is happening, and we need to do something about it. Um, maybe we all find somebody like that. I feel like I have some people in my circle who are willing to do that, and that's really awesome. I'm really lucky to have made some friends, um, particularly locally, in my community who are looking to do the work. And so, you know, that was super long, and I don't know how long I've been on for. But thanks for walking me, or being with me during this thing, Um, tears and snot and all. Um, But it feels good to be able to share this, because I feel like this is really important work. I feel like there are a lot of lessons that I've learned um, by doing a lot of like self-reflection and just putting myself um, not so quite, not quite so much out there, but kind of putting myself in other people's shoes and really reading different perspectives um, and also having compassion and empathy for others. So I, you know, I hope that we all are seen one day. Um, and if you are not seen, do what you can to be seen. Um, it's not, it's not a problem we created as people of color, but if we are able to do that work, then let's do it. And if not, find a white ally who's willing to. And if you are a white person who would consider yourself an ally or an accomplice, um, you know, me, I, I don't know, like reach out to a close friend who you've had conversations with and say, hey, if you're ever not comfortable talking about this stuff or addressing it with an organization or an entity of any sort, like, let me know. I'm willing to do it on your behalf or let me know and we can see if I can do it on your behalf and, or see if I can bring it to somebody else, you know, because we all have varying capacities um, and that includes white people. I'm not saying all white people have the capacity to address racism because that's certainly not the case, but if you are able to, then, you know, let's all work on this together. Um, and yeah, we'll do that. So thanks for watching. Um, please share your thoughts. I'd love to hear them. And, um, if there's anything else that if you wanted me to expand on anything in here, um, I'm happy to from, especially my personal experiences. I feel like I'll be coming on more often to do that. Um, but be safe. Have a great week. Talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in today. Living an inspired life is a worthy endeavor. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Be sure to subscribe in your preferred podcast player for future real conversations. And if any part of this episode made you think of a friend, let them know that they aren't alone in their journey and share all the things with them. If you'd like to stay in touch, hop on over to lisaforreal.com and sign up for my daily blogs. Or find me on Instagram at Reclaiming Motherhood. See you next time.